nine of Barb's family that have come to know the Lord over the years. And some of them have unfortunately died without the Lord. Uh, one, one aunt especially, and we went to her funeral, and uh, I was amazed to hear that the preacher who was preaching her funeral told everybody that we can, now that she's died, we can pray to her. Folks, that was a Catholic church, and that's false Catholic doctrine. That's not only bad doctrine, that's false Catholic doctrine. What happened to purgatory? Well, one priest said, well, we don't talk about that anymore. In other words, you believe it, but you don't talk about it. In other words, you're lying. You're dishonest. You don't even tell the people the truth of what you think is the truth. Anyway, um, sad that she passed away without the Lord as far as we know. And, and that side of the family, she uh, was raised in a, a fundamental Presbyterian church back in the day when they were fundamental, Third Presbyterian Church in Chester, Pennsylvania. Um, I can't think of the pastor's name there who was so well-known. And, but she changed to become, to marry a fellow. She uh, became a Catholic and raised her family Catholic, and, and that's the way it goes. Um, her husband now is still living. He's, I think, around 96 or 97. And uh, again, we try to share the gospel with him whenever we can, and it's just he smiles a lot, and, and it's okay for you, but I, I'm okay the way I am. The sad thing is he's not okay the way he is. None of us are. You know, one of the hardest things for me, the day that I got saved in April of 1962, I wasn't saved in church. I got saved in the front seat of a 1948 Dodge. Folks, it doesn't matter where you are. When God deals, you get saved. My mother led me to the Lord. And and, uh, in the front seat of that car, the hardest thing for me to do, because I was raised in a Christian home. I was baptized at the the age of 13, uh, like every good Gentile boy, right? <laughs> like our own bar mitzvah, our, Jewish, our Gentile bar mitzvah. And uh, baptized in the membership church. Lost. I thought I was saved, but I was not really saved until I was 15. And uh, the Lord spoke to my heart. And the hardest thing was to admit that I deserved to go to hell. I wasn't a druggie. I didn't cuss. I didn't drink. I wasn't a bad boy. I was a mischievous kid. I got into kinds of mischief at school. My mouth got me into more trouble than anything else because when I got in trouble, I tried to joke my way out of it, and all I did was dig the hole deeper. And uh, But I, folks, uh, was a baptized, active member of a fundamental independent Baptist church, active in Youth for Christ, on the quiz team for Youth for Christ, having taken and successfully completed a counselor training course and had to lead other teens to Christ, and I was lost. And to admit that I, as good as I thought I was, deserved to go to hell. My dear friend, there's not one of us here tonight that doesn't deserve to go to hell. And what we are, we are, but by the grace of God. Um, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And pastors don't like this, but we only have two of them here, so it doesn't really matter. I'm going to use a text as a springboard tonight because I want to develop a topic. And in order to develop a topic, we're speaking on the total depravity of man, the biography of Gary Myers. (laughs) You ask for that, brother. (laughs) You know, I, I have asked several times this week already, and I'll go over these four questions right now because they lend itself very, very strategically to what I want to share with you tonight. The four questions I often ask at the end of a message are these. Are you saved? 
Number two, do you know it? Not because mama said so. Number three, do you have a Bible reason on which to base it? And number four, does your life reflect it? The theme or the subject I want to cover with you tonight is, I want to share with you reasons why people lack the assurance of salvation. Now, there may be some of you here tonight who have struggled with this from time to time. I tried to share with Joe last night that now that he's accepted Christ as his Savior, he's not only my brother-in-law, he's my brother, and uh, he's going to have some doubts. And I said, listen, the devil's going to do everything he can to make you doubt what you just did. You just kick him in the seat of the pants and say, devil, I know what you're saying, but I know what God said in John 5, 24. You have passed from death unto life. You are no longer under the condemnation of God. And so uh, we need to understand reasons why people lack assurance. Folks, people, a lot of people, members of independent Baptist churches, maybe some here tonight, who are struggling with the security of their salvation. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. Since the day I got saved, I think it was April the 6th of 1962, there are a lot of doubts before that. And there's a reason why. There's never been a doubt since then. And there's a reason why. I just have several several reasons here. We'll look at some scriptures together. It's not going to be a theologically deep message, but I hope it will be a challenging one. Our text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 simply says this. Um, I'm sorry, I'm in 1 Corinthians. I want 2 Corinthians. If it helps if I get the right passage. 2 Corinthians chapter, not 5, 13, it's 13, 5. It's going to be a rough night, Pastor. Examine yourselves... Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? I want to think of that first part of the, that first part of the verse. <coughs> Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Examine yourself whether or not you are truly saved <coughs> and born again. Now, like any test, there, there's, a, there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. A lot of people say, well, yeah, I'm saved because I was baptized when I was a baby. Or I'm saved because I was confirmed or, or I was sprinkled or I was poured or I was dry cleaned or whatever it is you've been. Folks, God, God says, examine yourself. And when you take that examination, there must be a biblical foundation for the answer. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. Paul is not trying to get you to doubt your salvation But he's saying from time to time, it's good to reflect upon your life. Am I really saved? Yeah, well, how do I know I'm saved? And so let's examine some of those reasons tonight. Reason, and these are not necessarily in order of priority. These are just as they came to my mind. Reason number one, and this is a big one, they were never saved in the first place. That's the reason I had doubts before April the 6th of 1962. When I was about five years old, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Can I say this, folks? And I say this kindly. Many people use that. That is a false gospel. Jesus is going to come into a dirty heart. That's, folks, his coming into our heart life is the result of salvation, not the means of salvation. And uh, there are several reasons why they were never saved in the first place. Some of them were supposedly saved when they were 
three or four, two, three, four years of age. Now, I was about five, and I asked Jesus in my heart because we were taught in Sunday school that heaven's a wonderful place. Indeed, it is. And that if when you die, you want to go to heaven to be with Jesus, you have to get your ticket. You have to ask Jesus in your heart. And I did not understand the sin question. And folks, there is no salvation until the sin question is dealt with. And can I say this? I understand that a five-year-old doesn't have the same experience with sin that somebody in their 40s has. But that child has to understand what sin is because it is sin that separates him from God, making salvation necessary in the first place, and it is his sin for which Christ died and desires to forgive, cleanse, and take away. I will say this about dear Barb. She was a great children's worker, and she took, she took her time. Sometimes parents would get impatient. Why is she taking so long? Folks, it's not, it's not always an easy birth. I mean, some women have, have their baby in five minutes. Others take hours to have their baby. But Barb would always go over the sin question until the child understood it. There was no easy believism with her. And uh, we get letters and just found out recently that a pastor's daughter was saved under her ministry many, many years ago. She's married, has kids herself now. She was saved around uh, eight years of age in one of our children's classes when we had meetings in that church as Barb went over the gospel with her. Now, folks, I'll tell you, some people are just too young to understand the gospel. Um, we don't have the same experience, but a, but a child, I don't think anybody is saved at the age of two or even three. <clears throat> now, if you were, I'm not trying to cast it down. I don't believe that, that a child that young understands enough of the gospel to know even the need of salvation. It's something they do because mom and dad you know, lead them there and encourage it. And, and we all want our children to be saved. But folks, don't try to produce green fruit. You plant the seed today. You don't pick the tomatoes tomorrow. You have to wait for that germination process. And so uh, going back to the age of five, you know, I asked Jesus in my heart, not understanding what th- how things were. I didn't understand the sin question. Therefore, I was not saved. Secondly, the, the fact that they were never saved because many times their salvation, and I'm going to use the word experience, is based upon a decision made. Many times it's either an emotional decision or an intellectual one, but not necessarily a spiritual one. And by the way, a spiritual decision doesn't mean a lot of tears and weeping. And just because you have a lot of tears and weeping doesn't mean that that, that, that means that you're truly saved. Now, that some people are more emotional than others. But folks, I'm here to simply say this salvation is not based upon a decision that you made. That means you got yourself saved. Uh, you can, and I, I dealt with this in a book I just finished last night, by the way. It's now at the proofreaders already. Uh, uh, this kid said, well, we went, to, we went to a gospel rock concert and 500 kids got saved. Isn't that wonderful? I said, no, that's not wonderful. I said, well, you're against people getting saved? Sure, that's why I'm an evangelist. I said, let me, let me ask you kids, he saw a young man. I said, what was in that three-hour concert that would elicit conviction, cause conviction over sin in a person's life? Well, nothing, he said. It was a concert. It was entertainment. I said, don't, don't tell me this 500 kids got saved. You cannot feed the flesh for three hours with the world's music and elicit a spiritual decision just because the rock group got up there and gave a five-minute gospel message, an invitation that included, you can still have your rock music and long hair and let Jesus be Lord of your life, which is a lie of the devil. I doubt if that group is even truly born again. <sighs> And so people make a decision. 
And I realize to some extent salvation is a decision. The Bible says in John 1, as many as received him, that's a decision. But folks, all I'm saying is if that is merely an intellectual decision, it means nothing. If it's merely an emotional decision, it means nothing. There must be that inner spiritual sense of desperation and need that causes you to call upon the name of the Lord in salvation. A third reason why some people were never saved in the first person, let me try that again, first place and have doubts, is the fact that they prayed the sinner's prayer, quote unquote, but had no idea what that really meant. The sin issue was never dealt with. Just pray the sinner's prayer. Uh, Lord, save me for Jesus' sake. And then that's it. Uh, one, one preacher from, I won't mention his name, but he was from the, from the Chicago area, had a big church there. He's, he's passed away now. And uh, he bragged about being able to lead somebody to the Lord in five minutes. It was, do you believe Jesus Christ died for you? Do you believe you're a sinner? Do you believe Jesus Christ died? And, and yes, 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 okay, then you're saved. Folks, that's heresy. And again, birth, the Bible talks about being born again, the spiritual new birth. Birth is not always a quick, easy process. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's difficult. And the pastor or the personal worker is kind of like the, the uh, not a pediatrician, what do you call him, an obstetrician, who's trying to help and aid the folks. Only we can't do the delivery. God can. We're there to just help as a kind of a nurse's aid, as it were. And sometimes it's great agony. And sometimes it doesn't work. I don't believe there's stillborns, stillbirths in the uh, in the family of God, but sometimes a person just doesn't get saved and and they go on their merry way without the Lord. Sin has to be dealt with. And then fourthly is uh, they quote ask Jesus into their heart again a misapplication of Revelation three twenty. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Has nothing to do with salvation. It has all to do with fellowship between a child of God and our Heavenly Father. And so people ask Jesus in their heart. They pray the sinner's prayer. They, they make these decisions. And, and one lady said, well, I got saved when I was three. How do you know that? My mother said so. You base your eternal salvation on something that your mother said? I, we were in a meeting out in the Midwest one time, and my wife uh, had, had uh, I'll share two experiences with you, and she had the opportunity to, to lead a young man to the Lord. He was about 10, 12 years old, and uh, his father was angry with Barb because she did what he was going to do when he turned 16. What if he didn't live to be 16? You've had cases like that, have you not, Laura? They're hard. You don't always live to be an old person. You always live to be your three score and ten. You don't always live to be 16 or 21. Sometimes your life ends very soon. You live your whole life. It's just that your life is a short one. I was, I was astonished that that guy was angry with my wife for leading his son to the Lord. We were in another meeting where the, the, uh, a guy, the pastor's son's, pastor's granddaughter, my, my wife led her to the Lord. She was 10. And her dad uh, was incensed over that because he was, he was insistent that a child could not be saved until they were at least 13 years of age. So he insisted on sitting in on the classes of Barb to make sure she wasn't going to do this again, which she, she, she just did what she always did. I talked to the pastor. I said, I don't want your son in my wife's class. 
He did not back me up. He backed his son up. I said, he is disturbing the working of the Holy Spirit. He's interfering with the work of God. And you know that. And I know that. And he needs to be taken out of the class. We went back a year later. And I told him, I said, honey, I don't want you to teach you. Honey, would you get over that, please? I can handle it. So there's something about women. They can handle things that we guys can't handle. My wife was doing the books one day. And I was upstairs with her. And I never, I could never figure out the way she kept the books. It did not make any sense. And I'm not the smartest kid on the block when it comes to math. And uh, she came downstairs that one day. She said to Joanna, that man. (laughs) She would be happy to know that the books have balanced with one exception. And that's because she made a mistake I found. I was so glad I found that it was hers and not mine. But all the books have balanced now for two and a half years. Uh, seriously, folks, the idea here is uh, people make these decisions, etc., and and it's not genuine. The scriptures, uh, Titus chapter three, uh, and, and and Romans ten nine and ten, first uh, John five twenty four, Ephesians two eight and nine, John five twenty four is the one I shared with my brother in law last night. Verily I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. There's a second reason why people doubt their salvation. There's a lot of sub-reasons under the first one that they were never saved in the first place for one or more of those those reasons. But a second reason why people doubt their salvation uh, is because there's unconfessed sin in their life that's never been dealt with. 1 John 1 9 tells us if we confess our sins as a believer, that is, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3, you have the idea of conviction there. And when God saves us, He lifts us out of the miry clay and sets our feet upon a rock. Uh, uh, turn with me, real quickly, if you will, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. And let me just point out one verse there, if I may. Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Here it is. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon Folks, unconfessed sin is an unnecessary burden for any person to carry around in their life. Excuse me, especially for any lengthy period of time. Many a pastor has talked about the importance of keeping short accounts with God. We know none of us is perfect. We all sin. We all have our, our loss of tempers. We all say things. And every once in a while, even this trip, I've said to pastor and all that. You understand that was the flesh speaking particularly as it relates to politics and what's going on, the nonsense that's going on in our country today and the anarchy and the, and the, and the, uh, the insistence to try to overthrow our government. Folks, they are enemies of the state and need to be dealt with as such. That's all I'm going to say about that. But people have unconfessed sin. They, they do things, they never make it right with God, and then sin piles up on sin. You know what happens? It takes away the joy of the Lord. David thought he covered all of his tracks after the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. For nine months he thought he got away with it. But for nine months his life was miserable. Until God sent the prophet Nathan to expose his sin. And once his sin was exposed, unlike Saul who continued to resist, David repented and got right with God and was restored to fellowship. 
In this, in this instance here, the person doubts the salvation. It doesn't mean they're unsaved. But one of the reasons they might doubt is because they have sin in their life as a believer that's never been dealt with. Number three. And this is spiritual baggage from the past. And in this scenario, these are people who lack a, a proper understanding of the nature of God's forgiveness. I'm too great a sinner. God could never forgive me. But God says he will. If you say God can't, guess what? You're adding to your sin by calling God a liar. Don't you trust God? He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Proverbs 28 verse 13. And uh, Psalm 32 in verse 1. Uh, Blessed is he whose sin is forgiven, uh, uh, whose iniquity is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no God. Listen, folks, when God forgives your sin and salvation, he forgives it all, past, present, and future. We just need to keep short accounts with God as we go along in order to maintain proper fellowship with him. You know, people think, well, we can lose our salvation because of sin. People have this baggage in their life and, and false teaching and other things and, and problems and stuff. And when they get saved, they bring it all into their life, not realizing that's under the blood. God took care of that. The day that you got saved, bless God, all of that was removed. You're a new creature in Christ. And then there are others who have a faulty understanding of God's promises. I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 13 for just a moment. Um, you don't need to turn to all these as I do, but Acts 13 and verse 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Verse 38 and 39 says, And by him all that believe are justified from most things. Is that what your Bible says? What does it say? Hello? All things. Justified, folks. That justification happens the moment that you hear the gospel, believe the gospel, respond to the gospel, receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. At that moment, you are justified in that you were declared, you were declared free from the penalty of the sin for which you have been accused and convicted. Because it's been paid by another. By him all that believe are justified. In the present tense from all things. uh, From which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. In other words you could not deal with this without Christ. In yourself it it is hopeless. But in Christ we have the ultimate eternal answer. He forgives all things. And so we have to understand God's promises. God's promises of salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to understand the idea of repentance. Uh, Again, that whosoever covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. That's repentance. That's dealing with the sin as we ought to deal with it. Over in Psalm 38, we read these words. And and, uh, in verse, um, verse 17 and 18. David says, I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. In other words, I can't get away from it. 
Do you remember before you got saved when the Lord was dealing with you, how that you, you had this conviction, you, you knew you needed to get right with God, you knew you needed to be saved, and you just kept hesitating, and the Spirit of God, like a good fisherman latching onto a big bass, wouldn't let go. He kept the rod tip up. The bass couldn't let go. You let the rod tip down, you're likely to lose him. Keep the rod tip up. And that's what the Holy Spirit does until he lands the fish in the net of God's saving grace. Psalm 38, uh, again, I am ready to halt my sorrows continually before me. I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Now, I probably said this before. Not sorry I got caught in my sin. Everybody down in Dallas State Prison is sorry they got caught in their sin. Pastor, I've been working with an inmate there by the name Harry Jeffries. And by the way, his case was turned down. Um, he'll tell you, everybody there is sorry. What are they sorry for? Sorry they got caught. Sorry they were dumb and couldn't get away with it. David's not saying, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm not sorry I have to face the consequences. He says, I will be sorry for my sin in the sense I am sorry I ever committed the sin in the first place and thereby became guilty of offending a holy God. That, my friend, is what repentance is all about. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, a godly sorrow for sin that leadeth one to a repentance not to be repented of. Not a human emotional sorrow, not, not all these other things, but a godly inward sorrow. Lord, I know what I've done is wrong, and you've been grieved by it, and I am truly sorry. And God forgives. People have a faulty understanding about what eternal life is. Uh, they don't realize eternal life, does, it doesn't wait till you die to begin. Folks, eternal life begins the moment you're saved. It begins in time and stretches out into the endless ages of eternity future. It is everlasting. Not until I sin. You know, I was not the perfect child. I, I hate to disappoint you. Um, I got lots of spankings. I got lots of whippings. Probably not all that I deserved. Probably some I didn't deserve because I have a brother and a sister too. Um, but, you know, the fact that I would disobey my parents did not mean I was no longer their child. I'm sure there must have been nights that mom and dad would lay in bed and say, is he really ours? Are we sure there wasn't a mix-up at the hospital, you know, when we brought the wrong kid home? I remember one night that I, one afternoon, I, had, I was at junior high school, I guess, and I got in an argument with my mother. I've learned, folks, that 99% of the time when a teen gets in an argument with the mom, guess who's right and who's wrong? The teen is wrong, mom is usually right. And the older you get, the more you realize, the older you get and the longer you live, you, the smarter your parents become. Did you ever notice that? And you look back and realize how dumb you were as a teenager. Teenagers just hate to hear me say, I said, man, someday kids, you're going to grow up and look back and realize how dumb you are right now. But is that not true? So in my house, you did not strike my parents. My dad was not a very big guy. He was, I was, I'm 6'2", he was only 5, 6, or 7. But dad was like the punching bag. You keep punching it and you can't ever knock it down. It keeps popping back up at you. My dad was on the championship boxing and wrestling team of the United States Naval Academy, class of 1929, when he said they had wooden ships and iron men. Now it's the other way around. Uh, anyway, this particular day, I got an argument with my mom in the dining room, and I went to hit her on the hand. And as soon as I got in motion, I knew I better stop. In baseball, they call it a check swing. You know what that is, right? 
and you see the ball and you go, yeah. I put the brakes on. You could hear the the brakes squealing like an 18-wheeler coming down a hill. And you could see the smoke coming out of my hands. And I'm slowing down. But so much energy was there that by the time I reached her hand, it was just a little love pat. But mom knew better. And she went to grab for me. Mom, I have to understand, my mother was already old and senile and and decrepit. She was 40 years old, just almost 40 when I was born. So she was already out of it, you know. And I'm young and spry. And so, you know, you get away from her and then you start the little, you know the teenage dance, right? The, the parent-kid dance. You dance around the table this way. And, and my mother keeps saying, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you, son. And I work my way around to where I could go out the door and out into the kitchen and out the kitchen door. And I can still hear my mother's words following me. Son, sooner or later, I'm going to get you. And the later it is, the worse it's going to be. The worst part about it is I knew she meant it. So I tried the let's try raising parent game. Kids do it all the time. I'll wear, the mom, I'll wear mom out. Don't let your kid or grandkid wear you down. You're the boss. So I ran outside, and I'm, I thought, I'll just, then I could smell supper getting prepared. You know, I thought, well, I'll sneak in the basement. Mom, sure, we don't make an issue of this over supper, and then I'll, then I'll run away again after supper. I'll keep running away until she forgets about it. After all, she's so old, she can't remember forever. She's 40. Well, then she was probably 50. And uh, so I got my sister to unlock the basement window, and I slipped in. I, I tiptoed up the basements. For some reason, I didn't make a sound, not a creak. And the basement door to the kitchen was open part way. And I'm looking through this way and this way. The coast is clear, so I stepped through. This is how dumb I was. Mom was standing in the corner behind the door where I couldn't see her. And as soon as I got through, she grabbed me. And she said, I've got you now, son. Oh, by the way, it's later. (laughs) And she held on in such a way as if her life depended upon it. And I got a whooping. But you know what happened after that? Mom hugged me and said, son, I love you. I wish you'd obey me. Boy, that hurts, doesn't it? (laughs) But here's the point I make, folks. I did not stop being her son during those few hours of rebellion. Just because you sin, you don't stop being a child of God for the time that you're living in rebellion and in a backslidden condition away from him. And so people have to understand the new birth. It is a spiritual birth, and you are the child of God until God dies, and that's not going to happen. The day that you can stop being the son of your or daughter of your biological parents is the day you can stop being a child of God. Let me share with you very quickly two more. A lack of trust in the Bible's authority. Turn, please, to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And notice with me verse 13 and also verse 10. You know this verse, 1 John 5, 13. And these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not a hope so, maybe so, might so, work in that thing. Salvation is a no-so eternal relationship with God, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Now look back, if you will, please, at verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him, that is God, a liar, 
because he believes not the record that God gave of his son. Every person who denies the deity of Jesus Christ, every Jehovah's Witness is calling God a liar, is a reprobate, and is a lost sinner on their way to hell in need of salvation. Every Mormon who claims that Jesus and Satan were brothers and that Satan somehow is more important than as God was, as man now is, God once was, as God now is, man may become. Folks, that's a satanic liar of the devil. They are reprobates, lost sinners on their way to hell in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're calling God a liar. They're saying God is not what he claimed to be. They're saying God, God will not do what he said he would do. God cannot do what he promised he would do. Folks, that's a serious offense. And then, of course, this, this idea of the false teaching on eternal security that, that uh, one, one guy says, well, you know, no man can pluck you out of my father's hand. One guy said, yeah, but you could jump out. Hey, if you're saved, why would you want to? Number two, you think you're more powerful than God. You know, you have what I like to call deadbolt security. Jesus talks about them in my hand and then in my father's hand. That's like deadbolt security. You think little puny you is more powerful than God, that you can pry those almighty fingers of God open and jump out and go to hell? Uh, Paul, who's the head of Trinity Broadcast Network? Paul? Paul Crouch, Paul and Jan Crouch, he refers to the doctrine of eternal security as doctrinal doo-doo. I want to tell you something, folks. The doctrine of eternal security of the believer is a precious doctrine. And until you get it settled in your heart and mind, you will be of no value, of no use to God, because you'll never know from one day to the next if you're saved. Listen, we don't get ourselves saved, and we don't keep ourselves saved. We are saved by the power of God, and Peter says we are kept by the power of God. Aren't you glad for that? Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to always be what God wants me to be any more than I was always the perfect child that my, my mom and dad wished I was but knew I was never going to be. But we had a good relationship with each other. And you could have a wonderful relationship with God, confessing your sin and being restored to fellowship. These are some of the reasons why people lack assurance. Again, we end with the, the, with the questions. Are you saved? Do you know it? Do you have a Bible reason on which to base it? That's very important. And number four, does your life reflect it? If you're not saved, you can be tonight. If you're saved and you're not sure about it, I'm here to tell you, you can know it before you leave tonight. If you don't have a Bible reason upon it, let us help you find a Bible reason if you know you're saved. Because you have to have a Bible reason. Because you're not, you're, not, you're not smart enough. No man is smart enough. Well, uh, I, I just know it. No, that's not good enough. You have to have a Bible reason to base your salvation. And then does your life reflect it? If not, you need to do business with God and begin to live a life that does reflect that salvation. Let's bow together, please, as we pray. Thank you again, Father, for your love and for your grace for the opportunity to share these thoughts tonight in this message. I believe it's a very important message and one that needs to be proclaimed throughout our land. Lord, there are, there are multitudes and multitudes of people who, who either deny outright the security of the believer or have doubts about their salvation. Lord, what a sad scenario. Lord, we don't have to doubt. You promised us that we can know it. And we can base it upon your word because your word is everlasting. Speak to hearts, I pray, just now and do that work of grace that you know needs to be done. 
With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, again, I'm going to review those questions. Are you saved? Do you know it? Do you have a Bible reason? And does your life reflect it? If the answer is negative to any one of those, you need to do business with God tonight. My first question is, are you saved? If not, would you like to be? Is there anyone who says, Preacher, I, can, I cannot say that I know I'm saved. I'm going to handle the first two. You're saved, but maybe you're not sure about it. Would you like to be sure? Would you let me pray for you by letting me see your hand? Just let say, Preacher, I'm lifting my hand because I'm, I'm, I'm not saved or I'm not sure about it, but I would like to settle that issue, and I want you to ask you to pray for me. May I see your hand? Do you have a Bible reason on which to base it? Does your life reflect it? Those are questions you need to settle even as a child of God. Father, bless your word to our hearts. Thank you for the grace and the liberty in preaching tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Pastor.
for the word of God. We thank you for the precious scriptures and for how clearly and, and well they were proclaimed this night. We thank you for what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us all, Lord. When the devil tries to come to us and, and sow doubts in our mind and heart, may we just cling to thee, to Christ, to the word of God, trusting his promises. And, and Father, if there's anyone here tonight who has never truly trusted in Christ, may they do so even this evening. Lord, please continue to work in our hearts. Watch over those tonight as they travel to their homes. And just we want to give you all the praise and the thanks and the glory for what is being accomplished. And we, we just love you, Lord, tonight so much for all your goodness to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.